We gather together in the name of the one holy, loving, and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. So begins the biblical narrative and our attempt to explore and understand God, creation, and our place and our role in it. You know, as we explore the readings this week, it can be pretty easy to get bogged down with any number of things. There's just a lot there. What is the nature of creation? Why does what we seem to see in the world be so different from what we read here? It's Trinity Sunday, so naturally ask, where's the doctrine of the Trinity in all of them? How are we to live into the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel? I mean, these are really big and important questions. So why don't we start by just dipping our toe into uh, Genesis 1 for a moment. Let's see what we find. Now, we know this text really well, right? It's foundational for us. We have this void. God says, let there be light. It is good. God separates the light from the darkness, and we make it through the first day. Second day, we have the sky with water. And third day, we get the seas, the land, and the plants. And this goes on until God rests on the seventh day. As I read the text again this week, I tried to read it with fresh eyes and, and hear it with an open heart. It's challenging because this is a text we hear all the time. But there was this little nudge towards something that I, I really hadn't considered before. There's a process at work here. However long this process of creation took, there is a process involved. This is not a snap of the fingers and everything as we know it is created. Now I'm not saying that God couldn't do that, but the text is clear that he didn't do that. Why? Why would there be a process at work? And so as I continued in the text and we get to the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth days, God says, let the water bring forth the creatures and God creates them, first of the ocean, then of the air. God calls them good and blesses them. Next are the animals of the land and finally humans, which as we know, God blesses them and gives them dominion over creation. Again, something sticks out. God blesses them. I think there's something very significant there for us. This process takes time and it results in a blessing from God. It's also all about relationships. We're in relationship with each other, with creation, and with God. It reflects the very nature of the Trinity as we're made in God's image. So our story begins in love, with blessing, and in mutual relationships with each other, God, and creation. Now, we know the rest of the biblical story. It doesn't stay this way. Being in relationships is hard for us, and we sin. This beautiful creation that we long for, 
seems very far away as we survey our world. Another week brought more violent attacks against innocent people, this time in Iran, after what we saw in London and Kabul again. We continue to experience political turmoil here at home, where identity and ideology seem to matter more than life-giving relationships. Even our own church continues to pull apart as the Scottish Episcopal Church voted to canonically change the definition of marriage, which elicited a response to appoint a missionary bishop to replant churches that would stand in opposition. If God created the world in relationships that are mutually loving and life-giving, where's God now? Where is God active in the world now? My friends, that seemingly small detail about creation being a process is really important to this. It points to God's mission in the world, and it harkens back to what Mother Suzanne spoke about last week regarding the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. God's mission is all about relationships. It's about our relationships. It's about empowering us to be in right relationship with each other loving each other. Move on to the ending of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. I think it illustrates this as well. You know, something has ruptured the relationship between Paul and the church at Corinth. Paul's appealing to the people of Corinth for reconciliation through the God of peace and love. Again, God's mission in that time and space through the apostle Paul is about right relationships. It's about love and peace between us. As we turn to the ending of Matthew's gospel, Jesus declares that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him and that we are to make disciples of all nations. And we recall all of the deeds that Jesus has already done with this power. He healed the paralyzed man, cleansed the ostracized leper, healed the centurion's servant, he stilled the storm, he healed the woman who touched his cloak. He even raised the daughter of the leader of the synagogue from the dead. And that's just to name a few. God's mission is to heal and restore our broken relationships and our broken creation. But it is a process. It doesn't happen with the snapping of fingers. And Jesus commands us to go into the world remembering that he will be with us always. Our relationship with Jesus is there for us as well. We'll continue to experience him in the breaking of the bread, in fellowship, and yes, again, in our relationships. And it's that point which leads us to the question of, how do we fulfill that command? How do we participate in God's mission in the world? These are great questions that we need to continue to ask. Who are we in relationship with, both individually and as a church community? Who do we encounter in the world that we're not in relationship with? And how can we be in relationship with them in life-giving ways? I wonder if one way that we can explore that is just to look around, see where God is already at work, both in our church community and with those around us. 
We also know from our brief exploration into Genesis 1 that God works through those relationships in a process that takes time. It's the essence of God's very nature. And again, it's why I think the doctrine of the Trinity just resonates with us so well. This interplay and this dance between Father, Son, and Spirit is relational. Includes all of creation, which again is blessed and good in the eyes of God. You know, I, uh, I have to confess that I looked for a story to try to illustrate this point as best I could, kind of a vain attempt to, to follow the instructions of my preaching professor. And I kept coming back to the biblical narrative, the story of a people struggling to hear God's word in their lives, to live into God's mission for them as a chosen people through drought, famine, slavery through the wilderness, through exile, even enslavement again. They struggled, sometimes faithfully, sometimes not so much, but they labored on. All the while, we hear stories of their relationships, stories of how those relationships flourished, where they didn't. We heard the very beginning of that story today and the end of one of the critical chapters in our gospel reading. In both, I think we see God's promise to always be with us in that struggle and in that labor. We just hear that story again and again in the narrative. We heard it last week as the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples to empower them. I think we hear it again today and God made manifest in the flesh in Jesus. God is with us. God will be with us and we'll see him made manifest in those relationships. If we want to participate in God's mission in the world, let's go out. Let's hear some stories. Let's tell some of our own stories, build some life-giving relationships of mutuality, always remembering that God made manifest in the flesh in Jesus and at work in the spirit is always with us. Amen.